Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Scripture reading uh, this morning is going to be 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, again, verses 1 through 31. I'll be reading the entire chapter, but again, we'll not... Uh, be covering the entire chapter, but I, but I want us to hear the, the whole chapter, hear the, the whole context, as our focus this morning will be uh, on verses 4 through 11. If you're using one of the Blue Pew Bibles, you will find 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, on page 959. Now, we started looking at these verses last Sunday as, as part of our ongoing series on the communion of the saints. For the last couple of months, we, we have been studying a, a series of passages that each highlight for us the, the importance of living in community with other believers. If we are going to grow up towards maturity in Christ, we, we must be in community. We must be part of a congregation. We must be sharing our lives with one another so that we can be doing the things that we are told in Scripture lead to the end of growth. We're told that the body grows as we speak the truth with love into one another's lives. We're, we're told that we grow towards maturity as we uh, teach and admonish one another. We're told that, that we grow up as we uh, sing songs together, of uh, spiritual songs and psalms and, and hymns. And so as we do all these things, as we, as we come alongside one another, as we stir one another up to love and good works, we grow up towards maturity. And what we saw in Ephesians chapter 4 is that that work of, of speaking, that work of encouraging, that work of admonishing, it's not given to a select few, but it's given to all the saints. We are all to be about this business. We are all to be doing this work of, of edifying, of, of building up, of, of strengthening and encouraging. As I said last week, when we hear that, it can be a little intimidating. It can be a, a little overwhelming. We can wonder whether or not we are really prepared, whether we are really equipped to do such work. And as we saw, Paul readily admits that we're not. We're not equipped. We're, we're not competent. But he goes on to say, but we are sufficient in Christ, for He is our competency. He is the one who makes us sufficient for the task that He has given us to do. You, you can't do this in your own strength, but you can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. And that's why we are studying this passage on spiritual gifts at the end of our series on the communion of saints. Because the, the reality is, if we're going to do the work that we've, we've seen that we've been called to, if we're going to do the work of, of building one another up towards maturity in Christ, then we're going to need to know how to appropriate, how to employ the, the power of the Holy Spirit that is at our disposal. And understanding how to use the Holy Spirit's power begins with an understanding of how He gifts us to do the work that we've been called to do. And so let us read together 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. 
Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater love, or giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing upon our study here this morning. Father God, this is Your Word, and by it You you equip us, by it You train us, by it You prepare us to do those good works which You have prepared in advance for us to walk in them. And so, Father God, we ask that you would attend to the reading and the preaching of your word here this morning, that you would pour out your blessing upon it, that you would not allow it to return to you void, but that you would cause it to bear fruit in our lives, uh, that we might live to the praise of your glory and the good of our neighbor. Uh, We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Last Sunday, our focus was on what Paul says in verse 3. Look, look again there at that verse. Paul makes it clear right up front. He says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And, and last week, we, we focused upon that concept because that truth is the cornerstone for any proper understanding of spiritual gifts. We, we have to begin there. We, we have to begin with an understanding that the defining mark of the Spirit's work is the exaltation of Christ. The, the defining mark of, of the Holy Spirit, doing what the Holy Spirit does, is the, is the magnification, the, the honoring, the glorification of the fact that Jesus is Lord. And so we said last Sunday that if you are not honoring Christ as Lord, if you are not serving Him as your Master, then you are not spiritual. At least not in the true sense of that word, as, as having the Holy Spirit, as being empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you are not honoring Christ, then you are not spiritual, no matter what other signs of spiritual power you may seem to possess. And conversely, on the, the other hand, if you confess Christ, if, if He is your Lord, then you are spiritual. Then you all have the Holy Spirit. Then you are empowered by Him, no matter how weak and insignificant you may appear to yourself or to others. That is the, the cornerstone. That is the foundation upon which any proper understanding of spiritual gifts must uh, rest. That is where we have to begin. But with that piece firmly in place, I want us to now look at what Paul says in verses 4 through 11. Because having laid that cornerstone, Paul is now going to begin to, to flesh out the rest of the foundation. And he does so in, in verses 4 through 11. And I, and I want to break down what he says into at least four points. Four basic points that you see in your outline. First, I want us to see that spiritual gifts are given for the common good. Second, I want us to see that spiritual gifts are given to each one. Third, I want us to see that the gifts that are given are, are varied. It's not one single gift, but it's a variety of gifts. And finally, I want us to see that those gifts are given according to the Spirit's will. Now, last week I had plans to get a lot farther than I did, and I have plans to get this far today, and we may or may not. I'm not going to worry about it. But let's, let's just start working through these points and see how far we get as we can understand what Paul wants us to know about gifts, the gifts by which we will do that work which we have been called to do. Let's start with the first point. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good. We, we see this. In verses 4 through 7, again, notice what Paul says. He, he says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God empowers them all in everyone. And to each is given, what does he say, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So he's, he's breaking it down. And the first thing that he says is that there are a variety of gifts. He says it three times. There are a variety of gifts. There are varieties of service. There are varieties of, of activities. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment, that, that there are these varieties of gifts. But what I want you to notice now is what he says next. Notice that Paul says all of this, this great variety, all of these various gifts, they come from a single source. Now, admittedly, it would be possible to read what Paul says and actually come to the opposite conclusion. Because look at what he actually says. He says that there are varieties of gifts, but they come from the same Spirit. 
Then he says there are varieties of service, but they come from the same Lord. And then in verse 6 he says, now there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So it would be possible to, to read those verses and say, okay... Paul's talking about three things. He's talking about gifts, he's talking about service, and he's talking about activities. And they come from three different sources. One of them come from the Lord, one of them come from the Spirit, and one of them come from God the Father. But if you if you start dividing up the verse that way, you're actually missing the point that Paul makes. This is one of the, the mysteries of the Trinity. You see, for Paul, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not three separate gods. That's We are a Trinity Presbyterian church because we, we worship a triune God, a God who is three in one. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, while they are distinct persons, they are yet one God. And, and we struggle to wrap our minds around that. We We debate how exactly that can be, but what we know is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There is one God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when Paul points us and says, Listen, there are all these varieties of gifts, there are all these varieties of activities, there are all these varieties of service... He's not giving us three different categories and saying one comes from the Father, one comes from the Son, another comes from the Spirit. But rather he's saying all of these gifts, all of these varied gifts that can be described in various ways, they all come from a single source. They all come from the one triune God. So why does that matter? Why does it matter that all spiritual gifts come from a single source? Why does it matter that the one triune God is the source of all of these blessings? Well, what Paul wants us to see is that single source suggests a single purpose. You see, God is not at odds with himself. God God is not competing. He, he, the, the Son doesn't have a will that's different than the Father, that's different than the Spirit, and they're all sort of jockeying to get their way. But rather, God as one God has one will. He has one purpose. Uh, Paul calls it a good, perfect, and pleasing will in, in Romans chapter 12. And that good, perfect, and pleasing will is what God has foreordained, is what He has decided will come to pass. It's what He Himself is working towards, and it's what He calls us to work towards. And so, if all of these gifts come from Him, then we can assume that all of these gifts see, serve that same single purpose. But what is that purpose? What is this single purpose for which all gifts are given to God's people? Well, Paul tells us. He tells us that it is for the common good. Now, he's already suggested that gifts are given for the glory of Christ. But here he gives us a clue as to how the glory of Christ is served by our gifts. We magnify the glory of Christ. We, we honor Him. We exalt Him as our Lord when we use the gifts that He has given us to serve one another, to, to serve one another's common good. It's in the serving of the common good of the community that we exalt the name of Christ. And so here is the single purpose for which gifts are given. Gifts are given for the common good. Obviously, then, it's going to be vitally important for us to understand what that means. What is this common good that Paul is talking about? If you just sort of started doing a poll on the street and you started asking your, your average American, well, well, what would it mean for someone to work towards your good? You would get all kinds of answers. 
We like to define that term in a lot of different ways. We, we like to define that term in terms of, of physical health. Or we like to define that term in, for, in, in terms of uh, material prosperity or maybe uh, relational richness. Or, you know, wh- whatever. You can, you can imagine the, the, the plethora of different ideas that you would get if you started asking people, what, what would your common good look like? If someone wanted to work for your good, what should they be working towards? But we can guess that that Paul, being an apostle of Christ, might have something slightly different in mind than the average American. And, And we can also guess that he must expect the Corinthians to know what he's talking about because he just uses the phrase here without much explanation. He just sort of throws it out there and he says, okay, this is what gifts are for. Gifts are for the common good. And then he just keeps moving on. So, so what is this common good that Paul expected the Corinthians to understand? What is it that Paul meant by that term? Well, as we keep reading in this passage that, that really extends into chapter 14, we, we, we get a clue in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 14, if you'll just skip ahead just a little bit. Because there Paul says this, beginning in verse 3. He says, On the other hand, The one who prophesies speaks to people for the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So so why is the prophet speaking? What is the common good, we may ask, that he is working towards? Well, he is working towards their upbuilding, their encouragement, their consolation. That's that's what he's doing. The one who prophesies, he says in verse 4, builds up the church. And so it's, it's building up. That's what actually our word edification means. To, to edify is to build up. But to, to build up towards what? Well, if we're familiar with Paul's letters, we, we know exactly what he has in mind because he uses this type of language frequently. Paul is, is frequently speaking about building up the church. In Colossians uh, chapter 2, he, he actually talks about being established and rooted in Christ and built up in Him. And so we're rooted in Christ. He is the foundation, but he's also who we're being built up into. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not only grounded in Christ, but growing up into him. We we are being built up in Christ. He he said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4, a verse that we uh, we looked at earlier in this series. Remember what what Paul says there. He he says uh, that... The, the pastors have been given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And he then defines that work of ministry as building up the body of Christ until what? Until they attain to mature manhood. Until they attain to the full measure of the stature of Christ. And so what is the common good? The, the common good is that we are being built up. That we are being edified. And the goal of that edification, the model, the blueprint into which we are being built up is Christ. We are being built up into Him. That is the common good. That is what the Spirit gives gifts for. That that we might together build one another up towards maturity in Christ. And this fits perfectly with the way Paul uses that language of good in Romans chapter 8. We're all familiar with Romans 8, 28. It's one of the most familiar verses in, in all of the New Testament. That, that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him. But again, it's important. If you're going to understand and use that verse, it's important to know, well, what's the good that Paul has in mind? What, what good is God working towards? What is the actual promise here? And you don't have to guess in that context because Paul goes on in the very next verse to tell us. In verse 29, he says, listen, the good is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. 
When, when God talks about blessing, when God talks about working for good, that's what he has in mind, that we would be conformed to the image of the glory of Christ. As I said, people today have all other kinds of definitions for good. They have other ideas about what constitutes the, the good life. But none of those things are the good that God has in mind for his people. None of those things are the good which the Spirit gifts His people to accomplish in community. But rather, the good that God is moving us towards, the good with which God intends to bless us, the good that God promises to us, is that we would be conformed to Christ. That we would become like Him in our character and in our our ambitions and our hearts and our wills. Now, I know to some of you, you're like, well, that's a bit disappointing. You know, I was, I was hoping for better good news than that. And let me say to you, if you find that disappointing, if you are sort of let down by the idea that the good that God has for you is not material wealth or, or physical health or, or you know, relational fulfillment, if you are disappointed to hear that that's not the good that God has for you, then you don't get it. I don't say that... In a mean way, I've said, listen, you, you need to ask God to open your eyes because you have not yet discovered the nature of true treasure. If that sounds disappointing to you, then you have not yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If that sounds disappointing to you, you do not understand the full glory of what God has prepared for his people. You see, the pleasures and the treasures of this life, they are paltry and they are fleeting. They don't last, but not only do they not last, they don't even satisfy in the meantime. The satisfaction that they provide is, is small when compared with the pleasures that are at God's right hand. The, the blog that, that Desiring God Ministries, Piper's Ministry, uh, publishes is called Solid Joys. And I love that title because he's saying, listen, we're not against joy. We're not against satisfaction. We're not against the good life. But we want something for you that is far more solid than the fleeting, paltry pleasures of this world. And that joy, that solid joy, that that eternal satisfaction is found only in communion with Christ. Only in, in communion with the God who created you for fellowship with Him. And you can only enjoy that communion when you are like Him. Sin separates you from God. And so God needs to do more than just forgive your sins. Yes, He does need to forgive. Yes, He does need to remove your, your guilt as far as the east is from the west. And thank God He does that. But He doesn't just remove our guilt and then leave us as is. But rather, He removes our guilt and then He goes to work, crafting us, molding us, making us like Him. Why? So that we can fully enjoy the pleasures that are in His right hand. So that we can fully enter into the joy and the satisfaction of our salvation. So that we can know the full joy of communion with Him. That's what God is doing. That's the good that He has for you. Have you ever known someone who sort of got it? They got what they wanted, they, they accomplished their goals, and then it just left them empty. It left them discontent, it left them disappointed, it left them unsatisfied. I, I grew up, and my, my great ambition in life was to be a golfer when I was a younger kid, and I was like, I, I want to be a golfer, and so I watched a lot of golf. And one of my favorite golfers was a guy by the name of David Duvall. 
And David Duvall was this great golfer, but he was also, you know, a, a somewhat philosophical guy. So I kind of liked him for that reason too. And, and, and I, and I loved to watch him play. And, and there was a span in his career where he just caught fire and he won like 11 tournaments in a year and a half. And he was the number one player in the world. And then he finally got that major that, that had eluded him for so long. And then he fell off the face of the earth. And people are like, what happened? How do you suddenly forget how to play golf? And he said, you know, I just, I just sort of lost it because I accomplished everything I ever wanted. And I, and I thought, is this really it? This is what I've been working my whole life for? This is it? And he lost that edge. He, he lost that desire. He's like, he's like, there has to be something else. Life has to be about more than this. And that story has been repeated how many times. People get everything they ever wanted and they discover it's not what they wanted. Paul is saying, listen, God has something better for us. God has a better blessing for his people. God's blessing is not material wealth. God's blessing is not physical health. But God's blessing is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And he gives gifts to his people that we might get to that end, that we might accomplish that purpose. You see... We sometimes want God to act just sort of directly. And God can act directly. God can act immediately. And he could just sort of zap us and say, okay, well, now you're mature. And I think every one of us probably at some point has said, God, you know, why don't you do that? It would make this so much easier. Have you ever been there? I know I have. I just, like, God, you know, I've been, I've been wrestling with this. I've got this temper issue. I've got this pride issue. I've got this lust issue. I've got this anger issue. I've got this anxiety issue. You could just zap me and it would be done. Why don't you do that, God? I, I can't explain to you all the reasons why, why God causes us to, to be pilgrims in this land. Why he, he moves what seems to us so slowly. But I can't tell you it's what he does. God works slowly and he, he works through means. And the means are the people sitting around you in the pews. Who's going to help you overcome that lust? Who's going to help you overcome that anxiety? Who's going to help you uh, get your temper under control? It's the people sitting around you. As we speak the truth with one another into one another's lives, as, as, as we love one another, as we admonish one another, as we encourage one another, as we stir one another up to love and good works, we will be moving one another towards that common good of conformity to the image of Christ so that we can enter in more and more fully day by day into the joy of our salvation. And he gifts the people who are sitting around you so that they can actually do that work. And he gifts you so that you can actually do that work for them. That's what spiritual gifts are all about. Spiritual gifts are about God's desire to work good for those who love him. And to work that good through his church. To work that good through his saints so that we might be built up towards the full measure of the stature of Christ. And of course, I'm not about to get through the rest of my outline this morning, so that's okay. But just but hold on to that. That's, that's enough this today for us to, to chew on. This is what spiritual gifts are for. Spiritual gifts are for the common good. Not the common good as, as defined by the American dream. But the common good is, as defined by our Creator. The sovereign who knows us better than, than anyone. The sovereign who says, listen, I demand that you worship me. 
because I love you. I demand that, that, you, that you put aside all other gods because I know they will kill you. I demand that you come to me, the fountain of living water, because I know the cisterns that you hewn for yourself cannot hold water. They, they cannot satisfy. Satisfaction is found only in me, and therefore, because I love you, I call you to worship me, to worship me alone, and to submit to my word as the rule of your life. And he has gifted the people around you so that you can actually make good on that promise. So that you can actually begin to fulfill those resolves for good that we all so often make. And so when we begin to build our theology of spiritual gifts, when we begin to try to understand, we we start with this, that that, that spiritual gifts are for the glory of Christ. And we go next to this, that spiritual gifts glorify Christ by serving the common good, by serving the edification of His people, by equipping us to help one another grow towards maturity in Him. So let us pray that God would grant us the grace that we need to understand spiritual gifts this way and to use our spiritual gifts this way, that we indeed might be growing, that we indeed might be farther down the road tomorrow than we are today that we might learn more and more what it means to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord's name, a manner worthy of the gospel that we have believed, worthy of the God whom we serve. Let us pray together to that end. Father God, forgive us for the foolishness of desiring other things. Forgive us for setting our heart on the the fleeting pleasures of this world. Forgive us for ascribing more worth to the dust and the, the rust of this present evil age. Forgive us for thinking that relationships here and now are are more important or more valuable than our relationship with you. Help us to understand, Father, that we can only truly enjoy those relationships. We can only truly enjoy the good things that you've given us when we are in proper relationship with you. And Father, teach us to look to this community, community of saints, this, this church that you have made us a part. Teach us to look to this church that we might be built up and that we might build others up, that together we might attain to full maturity in Christ, that together we might reach the full measure of the stature of Christ. This is our prayer, and we ask it boldly in Jesus' name, both for our good and for your glory. Amen.